back on live here for the Safe House Podcast. Your man, Pastor Charles Ferguson, with my friend, brother, the bro ham. Mitchell Harper, what's happening, man? How's it going? How's it going? Man, it's going. I don't know where it's going to stop either, but it's going. So it's good to be back on with y'all. Good to be in the space and with all the folk that are in person with us. We're glad to have everybody in person and online here tonight. As you will probably note, that when we come on, we always say the following things. Number one, make sure that you are sharing this podcast with your friends, with your loved ones, like I am right now. Also, if you're online, make sure, make sure, make sure that you are commenting in the chat. And as you can see, if you are watching live tonight, we're going to see everything that you chatting right here on this screen and live and then live in color. So, what? look, everybody is amazed at this technology. You know, sometimes we do listen to people by making sure that we got stuff going on. So here we go. Make sure everything from saying hi to people because we know, you know, we want to make sure that we're saying hello and acknowledging you in the space. So we're definitely going to do that. And for those that are in person with us, just kind of roll with us and everything like that because we are making sure that we're trying to do everything possible to make sure that we are having the interaction that we need as we are studying together, learning together, growing together. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and open up in prayer and we're going to dig into tonight's um, time together. Uh, Mitchell, will you just open us in prayer, please? Of course. Dear God, we once again just come to you thanking you for another day, thanking you for just the ability to, to gather together and, as usual, just dig into your word. Help us to come with an attitude ready to, uh, to engage and to learn and to wrestle and to challenge and to grow and uh, all of that with uh, building your kingdom in mind. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight we are in the book of Joel, chapter 2, and the focal point scripture is verse 28, but I want to call to our attention verses 28 through uh, 31, I'll say, no, 32, 28 through 32. Um, One of the the great things about doing this podcast and having these opportunities is the ability to not only get into the word, but do things just a little bit differently. And so um, this past Sunday, as people in in the room know and some on social media know, I was in uh, Cincinnati, and I was uh, at Gaines United Methodist Church, and I dealt with this text. And it's not a text that I haven't dealt with before, but um, just to kind of bring back a little bit, apparently – it was an on-time message from everything that I heard, apparently. Because, you know, sometimes when we preach or teach, we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And let, me, let me say it a different way. Anybody that preaches and teaches for real, even when you're prepared, you have no idea how a thing is going to turn out. And so I'm glad that what was said to me, at least, it was on time in that space. Um, and what I want to try to do it's kind of dig more into the text itself, but I want us, you know, Mitchell, to kind of start off kind of just to discuss a few things. I know you got a chance to watch, you got a chance to listen, 
Um, and I want us to at least give a kind of a a ground game to this as we get ready to go. So mm. um, talk to me, if you will, about what you gathered from this, um, from the message itself, from the text itself, just as an initial launch point tonight, because we'll go deeper into a few things um, as we kind of move along. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I I think I need some further explanation of the differences between dreams, visions, and prophecies. If, okay. that's, if that's something we can break down. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> I... Um, That the idea of of fostering space to allow people to live into some of that ability, um, I think is is something that's always going to be relevant because I think we all are always constantly wondering if we're falling into the right spaces, if we're doing the right things, if we're um, living into what has been gifted, you know, to us. Um, so I'm just interested to sort of dig into some of that with you today. Okay. So let's look at the scripture and um, let's see. If you don't mind to just start with that uh, 28th verse of Joel 2. You want just 28? Do you have Do you have 28 through 32? Yeah. Go ahead and read it all then. 28 all right. through 32. Let's, let's, get, let's dive right in. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on, <clears throat> even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great day, great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. So here's a, so we're dealing with this Old Testament scripture that has two major placements for us as two major placements for us. Number one, this is the selected text of Peter in Acts 2. So when you're dealing with, just to keep it simple, when you hear certain things that are referenced from time to time, such as, for instance, this particular scripture, when you read Acts 2, it has a context. It has, it has a space, if you will. Um, and when it's used in Acts chapter two, it is used from a place of Peter basically opening the thing up, explaining what was happening at Pentecost. Mm. So that's its context in Acts. But in Joel, there's the context of chapter one being the experience of the people 
experiencing the judgment of God. And as they're experiencing the judgment of God, the prophet is basically saying that if you no longer want to experience this judgment, there must be repentance for what has been done. To turn back what was coming, you had to find yourself in a position where you were going to God, pleading with God, repenting of that which has been done. And when you enter into chapter 2, the beginning of that repentance was happening. And now God finds what? Pity. Mm. The Lord had pity. That's in English Standard Version, that's the marking. And when you get to verse 18, the Lord had pity. But verse 18 says, the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. In other words, because of the response of the people, he got back into the mode of being the caring God that was not positioning God's self to be um, angry and punishing and all that kind of stuff. Right? Covenant that had been agreed upon was being upheld. Right. Okay. Now, once the promise of God was beginning to be fulfilled, removing the enemy, right, restoring the land. These are the promises. I'm going to restore the land that the locusts had eaten away and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm bringing life back into the land. They couldn't even grow stuff and harvest it like they wanted to. The animals were suffering. They were suffering. But now God is restoring everything, so now the animals are not going to suffer. There would be what was necessary to be sacrificed unto heaven. All that kind of stuff was being restored. And when that restoration would happen, that's when 28 comes about. 28 comes about as after God restores, mm -hmm. there comes now a responsibility that is going to be given. And it shall come to pass afterward. So the prophet is already lining up and saying, after all this has been done, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. So after I've dealt with this, after I've dealt with all these things and all these issues, I'm now going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Here we go. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Speak the things of God that cause movement. I think that's at least in Claire, as at least as I've been pastor, that's the general working definition of being prophetic. Being prophetic is when you get a word that compels you to action. Doing prophetic things should be you've received from God to do something that moves you to action. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now, here's the part that people get tight on and they don't know why. Your old men or your elders. No, I like old men. Say old men. No, <laughs> no, 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 because, 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 that's, because that's a level of misogyny, my brother. <laughs> I said a level of misogyny. 
So the text written says, old men, your elders shall dream dreams. Your young men, your younger individuals shall see visions. That's where, that's where I landed. Now, the interesting thing is this. The elder is a dreamer. Mm-hmm. but the younger is a visionary. Mm-hmm. The elder is a dreamer. The younger is a visionary. Now, here's what we've done in life. We've made those with experience visionaries and those that are youthful dreamers. And according to what we're reading here, that's backwards. Yeah. Now, here's why it's backwards. Let's let's do some study tonight. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Now, eventually, we'll probably do some better stuff to to give more handles. But I want to give some English definitions before we go into deeper stuff. So English definition of the word vision is this. The ability to think or plan the future with imagination and wisdom. Hmm. Let it marinate. Vision means the ability to think or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. A dream means a cherished aspiration, ambition, or ideal. A dream is a cherished aspiration, ambition, or ideal. Now, let me ask this question mm-hmm. of you, Mitchell. Yeah. Before we even get into deeper language, do those two definitions sound like what we just pulled out of Joel 2? Just generally speaking, I, I want to get your opinion on that. Hmm. And this is a safe space. You're not going to get hurt for saying it's true or not. No, that's that's a good question. Um, let's see. Consider the text. Yeah, your old men will dream. Your your elders will dream dreams, and the younger will see visions. I don't know. That's tough. Now, now let's work within that tension. Yeah. Let's go deeper. We got to deal with some Greek and Hebrew. There are two words. There are two words each that I pulled specifically for the word dream and vision. Okay? In the Hebrew, the the word in Hebrew for dream means to bind firmly by implication to be causatively to make plump also through the figurative sense of dumbness to dream cease to dream be in good liking recover don't make sense don't don't sound like it makes much sense so it's a right? lot of just words thrown together yeah that's what it sounds like that's right? what it sounds like 
Uh huh. <laughs> let's let's stay let's stay with the confusion for a minute. The Greek word for dream. The Greek word for dream, can, it can contextually mean omens or prophetic sign of future events in public or private life. Now that feels like what most people I think can identify with in terms of dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The reason, and the reason I use the Hebrew is because we're talking about anything that we're pulling Old Testament is going to either be in Hebrew or the spoken language of the people in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. When we use the Greek, it's usually what is going to be dealt with with those that are the listeners. Even though we know that even in the New Testament, most of the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, most of the real language that's happening is Aramaic and not Greek. Yeah. The spoken language of Jesus and the disciples is Aramaic. The, but the audience. The audience is more than likely going to hear things in Greek. Okay? Y'all with me still? Yeah. All right. We're going to work through it. We we're work we're through working it. through it. This is, this, is the, this, is the te- this is the testing ground because we, we're trying to do a, a lot of things at once doing this model. So there's two words for vision. The Hebrew word for vision is prophecy or revelation. That's the meaning of it. And the Greek word for vision means vision, goal, or supernatural vision. Hmm. So a dream can be a sign of a future event. It can be an idea that causes you to to dream. It's something that can be recovered. But a vision has overtones of being prophetic, revelatory. It has a goal, and it's supernatural. Let's go back to the text. Mm -hmm. If you pull everything together, a dream and a vision are basically the same. But here's the difference. They're basically the same. It is their positioning that makes them different. Mm. Say more. It's their positioning. When you say positioning. Let's use, let's use in the text the idea of age. Yeah. The, pro- the prophet said the elder is going to dream. The younger will have vision. Right? The indication is that I can dream a thing. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get to fulfill it. Right. A visionary or a person that's in a position of vision can see the future, look down at what the future is, and as the English definition suggests, they can think, plan, and do it with imagination and wisdom. A dreamer can see a thing, but they may not plan for it. 
They may not even have the ability to plan for it. Right. But they can see a world that's different. But because of where they are, they don't know how it will come to pass. I guess when I hear you say that, I I go back to the text and I'm surprised and maybe this is my my bias showing or, or my naivete showing, but you would think that if visioning requires wisdom, the default would be to defer to your elders. And so I'm wondering if that's an intentional switching of some of that or if that's just a correcting of... Does that make sense? So consider so consider this. If we're in the right space, let's 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 deal with the local church. Yeah. If we're in the right space of things, you need people that have what? The energy, the ability, and even the creativity right. to be able to bring things to pass. You do need individuals that have experience. But here's where the tension comes in our current reality in comparison to what we see here. Okay. Dreamers were once visionaries. Mm, okay. Dreamers were once visionaries. But what happens a lot of times is that somewhere between being visionary and becoming a dreamer, if you will, the transition may have made some become really, really tough and difficult towards something new. Let me explain further. Everybody in here at some point wanted a new and better thing when they were at a certain point in their life. Yeah. Now, whether it came to pass or not, when they had the energy for it to come to pass, that's depending on experience, right? But once people arrive at a certain point in their life, they can look back, they may look back and they got further behind them than in front of them. And then it becomes either I lament about what is past or I despise what is to come because it seems as if it's erasing me. Mm, okay. And it's not that at all. I've gone to churches that I, my first church, I'll never forget, I sat in the interview I answered all their questions probably in about 20, 25 minutes. Wasn't much, it wasn't hard. I'm not saying that interviewing with a church is easy, but in this instance, it wasn't hard. I answered all their questions in no time flat. And then they said, do you have any questions of us? I said, well, I only got one question. I'll never forget it. I said, I got one question. What do you want to see when it comes to your church? I'll never forget, I'm 20-something. I looked them square in the face and said, what do you want to see when it comes to your church? I hope they didn't say that's for you to decide. 
They 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 so they they were about to, and I didn't let them. <laughs> they were about to say, "Well, it." I was like, "I I I respect the fact that there are things that you see that you would like to see happen in your church." <laughs> I would just be coming in. I am not from here. I am. I would just be coming in here. So I'm not. I don't know the landscape. What is it that you will want to see? And of course, they said what I call the usuals. Love to see more young people. And, uh, you know, making sure that giving goes up and dot, dot, dot. Now, whereas they were telling me this, I sat there and processed it. And I remembered every answer they gave. So then when I got called to the church and I became the pastor, I reminded them mm. <laughs> of what they said mm -hmm. they wanted whenever I began making decisions about doing things differently. I said, now you said you wanted this, this, and this. Well, let me tell you, you can't have this without doing this, this, and this. Now, they try to fight me at every turn until they saw that doing this, this, and this yielded the result that they said they wanted. I was 28, 29 years old. I'm not saying I knew much then, but I knew enough to know. There's just some things that were not going to draw what they wanted drawn. Mm -hmm. Okay. People resist stuff until they realize you need somebody that can really put forward what you may not be able to do. It does not mean <laughs> that you don't have purpose and you don't have place. But what it does mean is that you got to begin to know, okay, how can I really see this thing come alive even though I'm not in the position I used to be in. Yeah. There are things I experience. There are pitfalls and pratfalls I've experienced. And I will and I will just warn you of these things. That those are the th kinds of things I like hearing from my elders. <laughs> I want to let you know of the things that are coming about because these are some of the pratfalls and all this stuff that may come. But I'm not going to stand in the way of seeing this thing come to pass because I want to see the same thing. That's a conversation that we need to have. Because the real question is, do we have dreamers and visionaries in the same space? Do we have them in the right place? Or do we have dreamers still trying to be visionaries? And those said dreamers want visionaries to be dreamers only. So let me, yeah. Need a mic over. Yeah. Dreamer. Yep. But it, in this part of the text where it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophecy, then your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall shall visions. Isn't the prophecy like the visions? No. 
it it could be it could be it could be a it could be um dream or vision. So so the prophecy could be the vision or the dream. Mhm. So the con- so the context is what it, the context gives gives room to either it being a dream or a vision. So if I'm if I'm asleep and I see something while I'm asleep, it could be giving me insight into something that could be happening into the future, right? That's that's a dream. There are times when I'm there's times when I'm literally asleep, not thinking about anything, whether it's the word I'm preaching, anything like that, and suddenly something comes and it could give me insight into something that's about to happen. Or it gives me insight into something that I need to say on the way to something. That it could be both, yes. So, the, so like the dream part can be like, here's a sign of something for the future. But then, if it's a vision, it could be something that's a revelation. Like, hey, open your eyes and really see this for what it is. So there's a so each thing has a context. I can I can see something and be like, okay, there's something coming down the line. But then, vision says sometimes, okay. Let me show y'all why this is about to happen. Let me give you insight into what this all means. And that's when you need somebody in a place that can really see it clearly. A lot of people think they're visionaries because they can pay attention to clues. And that's not being visionary. You have to be able to see and understand some things very differently. For instance, when Facebook first came out, I remember I was I was a youth I was a youth minister and I talked to my pastor. I said, Pastor, let me let me let me holler at you. This is years ago. This is before before I ever pastored anybody's church, right? I looked them square in the face and said, Pastor, listen, we got teenagers and others that are on social media. Didn't call it social media then. We just like they're on Facebook, they're on these things. And I think it, they had just started creating groups. Mm. They had just started this. I said, you know, maybe it would be good if I created a group, a safe space for the young people at the church so that we could talk about some things in this area that they would not talk about mm-hmm. in person. I wasn't just going to do it. Because I, you know, I was associate minister. I wasn't just going to do it, but I was like, I think this would be a good way to find out what's really happening with our young people so we can minister to them directly in a more direct way. The response of my pastor was this. Well, you could go ahead and do that, and then, you know, if you do that, just report back to me the things that they're saying. I was trying to find a way to make them feel safe. Right. He wanted to be a spy. Yeah. <laughs> that was the difference between the young man and the old man in that particular space. I was like, nah, this is not to spy on nobody. You're missing the point. Yeah. This is how they're functioning. Or they're trending in their functioning. Because if they ain't talking about it 
over here and over here, they found another space to do it. Mm-hmm. I knew that then. And guess where we are now? You've gone from Facebook groups, now you Facebook, IG, TikTok, everything else. It blew up. People are like, well, I don't know about all that. And all of a sudden, you can't do anything without some level of social media reach, right? Vision. Dreams. And if someone is not trying to be a dreamer, to see how you, where it should have been, I still want to be relevant to these young people. The response wasn't out of wanting to be relevant. It was out of being what? I want to be nosy. I want to be in control of. I want to be in control of, of this. the conversation of the, yeah. And that don't help nobody. You see, you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. How do we you how do we still accomplish this if the tools of the past are not what they don't apply? You need somebody that can see some stuff. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't have things to offer. It just means. The thing that you see and that you desire, it can still come to pass, but you need some people that have what? Some insight. Everything that's presented is not foolishness. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get biblical with it, even the Bible says that the Lord will use the foolish thing to confound the wise. In other words, you thought you were smart because of this. No, God will use social media to reach more people than you doing the same old thing you've been doing for for 30, 40 years. Yeah. It's foolish. No, that's nothing but the devil. And now you got churches that actually got more reach than they've ever had and still got fewer people in the seats. So, and maybe I'm just asking the same question again, so I apologize. Man, go ahead, man. In order to prophesy, do you have to have a dream or a vision first? Does does a prophecy have to be predicated by a dream or a vision? You have to be prophetic means you gotta have relationship. Let's go, let's go back to that. You gotta have relationship with God first. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you got a relationship with God, God will give you what you need and what you're supposed to have in order to do what God desires for you to do. One of the points of the sermon was that you, that if we're going to be in an environment where vision and dreamers thrive, first you got to be open. You got to open yourself to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to open yourself to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that indicates that you got to have relationship to receive what the Spirit has to give. The reason that the people were in the position that they were in in Joel was because the relationship was fractured. Mm -hmm. The relationship was fractured and they needed it repaired. Repentance repaired the relationship so they could gain access to what would come next. And after the repair, yeah, that's how we're going. After the repair, after that happens, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. (laughs) 
cause and effect. When the relationship is restored, the 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 opening, mm-hmm. the vein to receive is opened again. I'm not just I'm not just begging God to give me something. God is showing up, putting that thing back into my life the way it needs to, allowing that thing to flow into my existence, all that kind of stuff. Because I did my part. Mm-hmm. I did my part to make sure that on my end, I'm ready to receive. I can't receive when I'm closed off. What do we... I can't receive when I'm closed off. Let's let's take it to let's take it one more step. Mm-hmm. Here at Claire, when we do the benediction at Claire, we do it this way. Those that are watching us, we do it like this. We we stand and I say, receive the final blessing of the day. And this is what we do. We open our hands. <laughs> Because you can't receive anything with closed hands. You can't receive a thing with closed hands. So if you can't receive nothing with closed hands, you can't give nothing with closed hands. (laughs) So if I've closed myself off to God anyway, I can't give God what is due, and I can't receive from God what I need. So then, I can't receive, for instance, I can't receive peace about transitioning from one place in life to another if I'm closed off to it. No, I don't want to, no, I can't, I don't want to advise nobody on anything. No, I don't want to, I don't want to all of a sudden teach somebody how to do this. No, I don't want to. Have someone come behind me and do all this stuff because I don't know if they're going to know what they need to know. No, I don't want to become a teacher. I don't want to teach nobody about nothing because I've been doing this, what, all my life, and I've been doing this longer than anybody else, and I don't bop, 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 <laughs> right? That and, 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 and that attitude is not from a position of this. It's from a position of this. What's, you, you talk about the closed hand and, and receiving with the open hands. So what's the difference in closed hands and praying hands? So, I mean, praying hands is just a posture. If someone is in a, in a posture like that, that's just a physical posture. But, but even praying has, praying has its own posture that it's not really about physical positioning as much as it is about the positioning of your heart, your mind, and your soul, right? So even if even if I am not physically coming to you with my hands open, I have a giving posture. I should have a giving and receiving posture. But if I don't have that, it is because my, it is primarily because my relationship with God is fractured. And it hasn't been, and and if and if it's been fractured, either I haven't repaired, right? I haven't done my part to repair. Well, that's really what it is. God is always going to be God. 
the repair of a thing is usually going to fall on me. Mm -hmm. What do I do to make certain that things are? What do I do to make sure I'm in right standing and right space and right posture with God? So can we talk about, I'm not sure how I want to say it, but like in the series that we've been doing at Claire, in terms of the name, the image, and the likeness, mm-hmm. how does that open-handed positioning help us live into our full self in God. Does that make sense? That like that is that I don't know I don't know how to I don't know how to say it, but like that that uh, <laughs> that that attitude of of coming with open hands. Uh how does that play into our living into the fullness of who God called us to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like to be back in right relationship with God by being open. So, okay, I think okay, let me let's 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 deal with some dynamics, okay? So, if you if we're tying in if we're tying in the two tying in this with the name image likeness, right? Let's go back a couple maybe about a week or two, maybe no, about a week ago. We talked about from the standpoint of image, right? One of the first aspects of image. Are you willing to pay a price to be like Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is relational, right? If I'm going to if I'm going to live into being in the image to have a relationship, right? Carry the name of God, walk in the image of God and the likeness of God. Mm-hmm. There are things about me that set, that suggest that I'm going to do what I can to try to follow, you know what I mean, to try to follow as clear and as dedicated as possible, right? I'm not just, I don't look at, I don't look at my life as just being about me. I don't look at, my relationship with God as one way. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, let's start there. It's not one way. God bless me. God give me. God, that's not what this is, right? That that That's not what this is. It is, I know that God has done so much for me to be free, to be this, to be that, that I take on a responsibility to live in a way that has that freedom attached as well. Mm -hmm. Think about it like this. Even with being saved, there's a responsibility. Right. And And what people usually don't pay attention to, what people usually don't pay attention to is when you've given your life to Christ, there is a responsibility involved. You do your be- you do your best daily to rep- to represent God, right? We do our best. Are we gonna get it right every day? No, 
but we acknowledge the responsibility. I have a responsibility to do what it takes, right? I got a responsibility to love my neighbor as myself. I have a responsibility to not cuss you out when I see you. I, <laughs> I have responsibility to step into, you know, giving the free gift of grace. God help us if we actually do what Methodists talk about when it comes to grace. I, I'm supposed to be offering that when I see you, when I encounter you. Jesus literally said, freely I give, freely you give, mm -hmm. which means you can't put a price on it. That's on me. Christ has already given me my, my marching orders. Freely I give, freely you give, which means your hands ought to be open anyway. If you close your hand, that doesn't look like Jesus. Mm. Mm. Check this out. This just literally hit my mind. I don't know if it's necessarily biblical, but just, just ride with me for a moment. Let, 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 let my imagination run wild for a second. Remember when Jesus went to the temple and he flipped over the tables? Mm-hmm. I want, I want us to use some practical, some practical stuff, okay? If I'm to flip over a table, can I do said flipping over a table with a closed fist? Is it practical to use your fist to flip a table? I mean, we were blessed with thumbs for a reason. Which so. means, which means which means what? In order to even get a grip, I have to what? Gotta open your hand. And grab on. Yep. So by so even though Jesus was flipping over a table and that would be considered according to the literal definition of violence, a violent act, he was still giving the institution of the temple what it was supposed to have, which was a cleaning of house. <laughs> When I see injustice, I'm not going to go at it with a fist. Mm. I got to give it something that it ought to receive. Y'all feel what I'm saying? <laughs> so the whole principle of following and doing like Christ requires you to have what? An open hand policy. You can't do anything of relevance without the ability to what? Give it, put something to it. You can't grab without open hands. You can't lift without open. Think about all those images. We're supposed to lift, you can't lift up Jesus in any way without an open hand policy. If I be lifted up, even if it's figurative, it has to be open. You have to be open to do it. If you cannot do these things with an open hand, you're not doing things like Christ anyway. Yeah. Wow. You will literally be known as a follower of Jesus by the way you grip. And the Jesus I know fought back, but he never fought back with a fist. 
Oh, that 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 I know I know it didn't fly over. I know that didn't fly over. I heard that thing land just now. And if you didn't hear it online, Lord, it, it landed just it was delayed, but it landed. <laughs> Jesus didn't use a fist, but sure enough fought back and and did it with and look, and if you want to and look, if you want to take it to the cross and have yourself a quick three-second shouting moment, he fought back, arms what? Stretched wide. <laughs> Because no man could take his life, he gave it, gave it. freely. Yeah. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not even martyrdom. Because for him to get up, he went through the death process, but he got up. And he did it, what? I got all power, what? In. I don't know if that answered it completely, but that, and I, I've been hearing myself too much, and I I know we're trying to teach the thing a little bit more. I'm trying to, but are there any, any, any thoughts? I don't, I don't want to leave, and if you're online, definitely put them in the chat. Put them in the chat. We're seeing some comments coming through. Hey, Kia, hey. Sister Donna, good to see y'all on. Any thoughts? Any other thoughts in the room? Because we can make sure you get a mic if you got a thought. But we can keep going. All right, we keep going. Because y'all know I hate a lecture. <laughs> I hate a lecture. Check. So. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was... Um at one point, I think during your sermon, you had talked about um, j just recognizing your roles, like you, like your individual role in terms of growing uh, the kingdom, and like we see some of that in the in the text in terms of who's going to do this, who's going to do that, right? Um, and when you started to talk about that, I immediately started thinking about the passage that I know that I can't give you chapter and verse of right now, but uh, it's in one of the Corinthians. It's mm -hmm. talking about if the ear says, I want to be an eye or whatever it is. And it's First Corinthians 12, I believe. Yeah, I almost said that. Hey, man. It didn't you gotta feel right. Didn't you gotta, feel right. But you got to trust yourself, yeah. big dog. You got to trust yourself. <laughs> I think it's I think it's First Corinthians twelve. Keep going. But no, I, so in terms of that, what 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 detriment do we do when we are unwilling to wrestle with what our roles may and may or may not be? Say that one more time. What detriment do we do? if we are unwilling to wrestle with what our roles may or may not be. Okay. So part of it, so it's kind of a loaded question in this regard. One of the things, one of the other questions, a side question we may have to ask is this, have we ever been taught, have we ever been taught and, and have we normalized that all roles are important? Mm -hmm. Right. Let me say that one again. 
have we normalized that all roles are important? Because here's what we do. Here's what we do. We will place greater emphasis on the roles that are most visible and not, again, we talk about being biblical, but we don't, we talk about being biblical, but we don't follow the Bible half the time. <laughs> Go to 1 Corinthians 12 <laughs> since you brought it up. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start, and these are, uh, these are scriptures we dealt with throughout this year, actually, in Bible study prior to doing it in podcast format. We've dealt with this on several occasions. Starting in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. And I want people to, I want people to catch this, catch what I'm saying. If we have not normalized these ideas in the life of the church, then we have the tension of people not knowing their place. And not just, not or, and we have people that don't know how to transition from one place to another. Mm -hmm. People have heard me say this from the pulpit. I know I'm not done being a visionary. But when I look at my son, I know that my time is winding up. And people will be like, what do you mean? You're still in your 40s and dot, dot, dot. There will come a day when he will be in a position to start seeing things and knowing how to get to those things in a way that I can't. Right. It's going to happen. And the more that I begin to process that now, the prayer is that the transition from being visionary to dreamer will not be as difficult. Mm. I didn't say it isn't difficult. I'm just saying my hope is that it won't be, oh, God, I'm going to resist this all the way to the end. Right. There's some people that resist it all the way to the end. And dare I say, and I hate saying this one, but you know why some people die almost after? almost like after something they've done for years, they suddenly stop doing it because they put their everything into it and never set themselves up for a healthy transition. Mm. That's a whole word. Yeah. Yeah. I said this on Sunday. I said this on Sunday. And it and for those that are in the room or online, if you if you haven't seen, if you didn't see the message from Gaines, it's on my page. It's on my page. It's on the Claire UMC page, the link to it. I made this statement. There should come a point where you should want to rest from your labor before you have to rest from your labor. I said it differently in here just now. So maybe this is the way some people need to hear it. You ought to be able to rest from your labor and still dream. Mm. You should not be at the forefront trying to get the thing still. You should be able to rest from some of that to be in a position to talk about other things. And I'll bring up the example. My grandfather's looking me dead in the face. I'll bring up the example on, on how I brought you into the sermon in a couple minutes. It might be the way we close out tonight, so y'all will understand. But in, 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here we go, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink for, of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not, the, not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say that I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here we go. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. <laughs> On the contrary, the parts, here we go, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Marinate. Yeah. Marinate. Marinate. Can I say that one again? The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, big word, indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care one for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more, still more excellent way, which then leads into 13 we know as the love chapter. Right. 
you don't need 13 because this ought to make you shout. There are no indispensable parts. Everybody has a role. Mm -hmm. But we got to normalize that. Yeah. Now, yes, I love when people do wonderful things for me. I, I, I have not gotten over the fact that people have shown me love as the pastor. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I appreciate it. Every and people be like, your folk really? I'm like, yeah, my folk really love me. I ain't had that like that. And, I, and, and people be like, well, people, I, I mean, there's some folk, but I, 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 I nah. Nah, these these folk at Claire are all right with me, man. They 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 love a brother. I know they do, because nobody is obligated to be kind. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I'm saying this and I'm saying this publicly. Yeah, I've said it publicly. I've said it a million times, and I'm gonna say it on this platform too. Ain't gotta be kind to me. Y'all don't owe me that, right? But I believe it's based on relationship and the relationship that has been developed. And there's, and there's genuine love here. Even when I go and preach in other places, I, I tell people, they I don't, I don't, nobody's preaching in a better place. And like, I'm grateful to be here and all that stuff that y'all invited me. But they, I, I do get homesick for about five good seconds. And especially if they don't shout up in there initially, I get real homesick. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you need a home you need a home shout mm -hmm. sometimes lord but but as much as i've been honored here as the pastor of this church i would say that the people know deep down that if they did it behind closed doors or in public i would feel the same way you see what i mean and I have no problem saying that if I'm any kind of pastor is because I am surrounded by great people. Yeah. This is this is this is this is this is the truth. This ain't this ain't smoke. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to paint this picture. If I'm considered to be a good pastor, it is because I definitely got great people. And you have to be willing to follow a brother which means you got to trust the God in me to walk. You see what I mean? But I have to be able to trust the God in you because this is still the Lord's church. It's not Charles Ferguson's church. And if as a church we're successful, it is because of all the parts, not just one. Now, can we talk church culture, the organization of the church, and the real church for a second? Mm-hmm. Church culture, especially in the African-American tradition, has always been personality-driven. That's church culture. And that has killed more pastors than anything else. Yep. Yep. Not disease, not cancer, not even heart attacks. Those are the symptoms of what really killed a lot of people. It's a personality-driven model. That is church culture. And the, organ, and the organization of the church a lot of times has run on personality culture. 
but the but the church of the living God says every part is indispensable. So that means the person at the door smiling is indispensable. You hear what I'm saying? The person that sits next to you that may not have a specific role in the church, them saying good morning is indispensable. I used to pastor a church where someone said, Pastor, I love the way you preach and teach, but I can't show up. And I asked, why not? It was like, it ain't you, it's the folk. I pastored a church where the people were cool with the way that I preached, cool with the way that I taught, that I, I can't. Because the people, I can't get past the people. Don't you realize that a good morning is indispensable? Mm. A smile is indispensable. Do you understand what I'm saying? We cannot, we can't put, look, I don't need shine. Because what I do is not shiny, okay? This is hard. Yeah, I want I, I pray that people respect it, honor it, all that stuff for what it is, okay? But let me tell the truth. And the truth is. I don't need it because if we are not doing what we're taught, supposed to lift up Jesus so that Jesus draws, then we are out of luck. So I need, I need the kids. I need, I need the baby still running up and people smiling and say, good morning. I need that just as much as I need folks shouting off the sermon. I need, I need, Folk that actually look at a kid that's running around during the, during the sermon and look at the pastor saying, you better let that baby run for a second and not act embarrassed. Because you need to know that your child is safe to be in a space because they feel comfortable enough to do something that you ain't willing to do. You don't see me tripping. I'm like, shoot. Because what I would probably do, if they ran straight up to me, I'd probably pick them up, go another three minutes until they're ready to go on, be like, bet, go. Because I remember the days when the kids had to be, you, got, you try to tell some five-year-old to be still. Be still for what? If the music good, I can't be still. Right. If the music's bad, I can't be still. Shoot! <laughs> What? And guess what? For God's sake, I shouldn't be because that I, it should be, you know. I, I, but all that's important. The person that goes into the highways and byways to give and to reach those that are under the bridges, mm -hmm. in the bushes, mm -hmm. that doesn't that doesn't get seen because they don't do it to be seen. They do it because it's the right thing to do. You ought to honor that. We're talking about we going to honor those that just do stuff inside the four walls of the church. Get out of here. You need to encourage those folk. If you can't do it, the best you can do is encourage it. My God. And encourage it how? Support it. How do you support it? Your time, your talent, your resource. You got a way to do it. You see what I mean? But if we're not Making this normal, mm -hmm. then people will always feel that their contribution is small. 
And then they say stuff like, you really want to use me? You think I can do this? They question themselves half the time because they see things in a certain light. And all of a sudden, they don't feel like they can offer anything. No, baby, you can offer something. But we have to normalize it. When I first became conference co-lay leader, mm-hmm. I was in a meeting with the bishop and a couple other folk, and I made the mistake of saying somebody had asked me if I was clergy. Mm. And I made the mistake of saying, no, I'm just laity. And let me tell you, the people in that room, they gave me the business because they wanted me to absolutely. And, and, I, and I wasn't saying it in a way to diminish the role of the laity, but even just that awareness around that language mm-hmm. was important so that people understand that what they're doing is not diminished simply because they are not in that different position um, that's set apart for whatever reason. Right. And I think a lot of times you're right. We have to, we have to make sure that you're not always going to get some award at annual conference. Mm -hmm. You're not always going to get, the recognition that you may even deserve that doesn't make it any less important or valuable to do what you do because chances are there's a reason why you're the one doing it and if you don't do it it may not get done not only was that a bar you need to repeat it (laughs) i don't know i don't know what i said that's i don't know what i said (laughs) If you don't do it, it might not get done. Might not get done. Say that, man. And and I, and I want to be careful in saying that because I also don't want a lot of times people, especially in the church, mm-hmm. feel a pre. And it it builds the cycle that we were just talking about. They feel a pressure to do what they do because it might not get done if they don't do it, right. which then perpetuates some of that cycle of, oh, I've been doing this for 30 years and now it's my thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it any less important that it's being done, but your attitude in the midst of doing it can pay dividends. And so here's how I want to land the plane tonight. The one thing we have not mentioned, we've mentioned the two sides of things, but we have not mentioned transition. Mm -hmm. Dreamers were visionaries and visionaries become dreamers. It's actually a cycle. It's actually a cycle. We have to transition and we have to Yeah, here's the word. We have to begin to learn how to transition well. Mm-hmm. Not just change, transition well. Okay? Some people might say that there are people that just, they talk about they don't like tradition going away or this or that or whatever. Whatever. 
I think we've been using the wrong language for a long time. Tradition becomes tradition because it becomes something that's done on a regular basis. Anything can become a tradition. Mm -hmm. Anything. Anything can become traditional. I was literally looking at a at a reel of a preacher that basically said, you know, they, they challenged the idea. They challenged the idea of people saying that they're trans that they're traditional. And they're no, they're saying that they're non-traditional. And then pe and then people don't realize that traditional is just based upon your context. Yeah. Traditional is like normal. Like right. how, who Whatever. who gets to define what that is. Yeah. Right. So your norm is your level of traditional. Mm -hmm. And I agree. But I think what we've done is because we have all these different ideas that float around within the life of the church, we don't set up, we don't set up people to thrive and recognize when transition's happening or help people to work through the transition from one space to another. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's, it's beginning to get easier because we're dealing with it now. I'm not saying that is easy. It's easier than it's ever been. Yeah. Because at some point you have to deal with, you know what? This thing here is not going to last forever. But how do we but how do we transition well? The foundation of stuff remains the same. I still have to be in a position where I'm giving and receiving, right? That 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 concept doesn't change. I got to be open to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And when I do that, your children are going to prophesy. Your elders are going to dream. The youth are going to see visions. You got to be ready for what that means. You got to be prepared for what God is trying to speak into your life. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I... This entire time when you've been talking about transition and when you've been talking about the concept of dreaming and vision, I get stuck in Genesis 1 a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think about that moment where everything was formless and void before God spoke. And it's God that then sees that transition through from the chaotic to that ordered world and how... You can have an earth that mm -hmm. is formless and void, but until that vision, you know, that earth is the dream, but then that vision, that vision from God, that God as the visionary comes and turns that into something that is ordered and works and makes sense and is habitable and, and all of these other things. Um, and, and, and maybe I'm coming out of left field with that. No, but no. but that's sort of where my brain goes. Which means then this point of communicating an act of gospel makes all the sense because 
we have to then be able to speak a thing that causes us to always be, be in a position of action. Mm. Prof, when I prophesy, it should be compelling you to action. An active gospel moves you into action and you move into the places where you're going to be best suited and you're going to be positioned best and you're going to be able to do your best work and you're going to be able to do your most effective work. My effective work in my 20s is definitely not going to be my effective work in my 30s. Yeah. My 30s is not going to be like in my 40s. My 40s will not be like my 50s. But I also need to know if that be the case, God, how are you transitioning me from this effective work to what it is that you want my work to be in this next season? I'm not asking God to just preserve me in this season. God, prepare me for the next one. Because once you show me the next one and how to prepare for the next one, it will change the way that I do what I need to do right now. If, if, we, if we focus God in what we're doing now, does the, does the healthy transition happen naturally? Because if we're really, if we're paying attention to God, if we're really focusing, if we're really focusing on what we're supposed to be doing in the season that we're in, everything that we do is not only handling right now, it's preparing for what's to come. And it will, and it could be, it could be a natural transition. But sometimes, here it is, sometimes the things that God asks us to do also may require somebody else's obedience too. Yeah, yeah. I may be in a position where in the in the midst of my transition, I'm still doing certain things, but I'm supposed to be preparing somebody else. Right. But if that person doesn't want to be prepared, I can't force them. Yeah. If that person doesn't want to be, you know, equipped or see certain things, I can't force it. So there are some things where I prepare for the transition and I'm able to prepare, but then there are some things that require somebody else's obedience too. And I can't get frustrated in it because God will send those that are what? Going to be obedient to what they need to do on their end to prepare to be who's coming behind. Yeah. How can I have a – oh, one more. Okay, sorry. Yeah, there's – It's on. It's on. There's something – I've been a pastor for 42 years. And here I am. I'm 80 years old. And I'm no longer a pastor. What, what is the process of transitioning from doing everything to doing almost nothing? Because you don't want to step on people's toes who already have those positions. Or the church is already so well set up that you don't really fit in. I think, and, and I want to end with that question. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a matter of whether we're stepping or overstepping. I think that for transitions to happen well, we have to ask God and get revealed from, and what has to be revealed by God is what in general is our place 
and our cause now. Right now, yeah. Here's how. Here's how I'll end it. And hopefully this will explain. This hopefully this example will explain where I'm going. All right, Gramps, you're looking at me. I said I was gonna pull you in, so here's how I'm pulling you in. I decided to look up and down your Dream Street in the city, Parkview. No, yeah, Parkview. I decided to look up and down your street, the one that you told me is where you still like to dream, right? When you would drive me around. There's a house on Parkview Park Avenue. In, in Bexley? In Bexley. Oh, boy. That is for sale. I wanted to tell you about it because I know we've passed by this thing before. It's on Parkview. It's, it had $200,000 of renovation done on it. It's eight bedrooms, seven and a half bathrooms. It's 12,861 square feet. It has a large foyer with dual staircases. Jeez. It has a deluxe chef's kitchen with cathedral ceiling. Check this, check this out. Check this out. It has, it has um, a formal dining room, a large family room with a raised ceiling. And here's, here's the one. It has a first and second floor laundry. It has a four-car attached garage and the courtyard. It has a courtyard that's all pavers. It's a paver courtyard. It's on a 1.61-acre lot. Asking price. I didn't put that down? That's ridiculous. The asking price, I remember it. The asking price right now is $2.3 million. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't find parking in Bexley half the time. <laughs> That's enormous. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It is it is enormous. And my grandfather, when I was younger, he and I had a conversation as he was taking me down Parkview for the hundredth time. And I asked him, why do we always find ourselves on Parkview Avenue? Mm-hmm. I don't care where we were coming from. He found his way on the Parkview. I don't know why. It wasn't the shortest way, but he would always find himself on Parkview. You know what this man said to me when I, with my 14-year-old with my you know, intellect that blew me away, and I still remember that thing over 20-plus years later? I said, why do we come down this street? He said, regardless of where I am in life, I can still dream. Mm. Whether I get it or not, I still it doesn't cost me nothing to dream about what could be. Yeah. Now. The beauty of being a dreamer is you can dream about anything that's possible. And if you declare that thing out of your mouth, guess what a visionary will do? They'll latch on to it. Yeah. Mold it into something. You don't have to you don't have to be in a position to energize the visionary that can go out and get it. That whole conversation is 28 years old. 
and I still remember it. In the front seat, my grandfather's Suburban, I had a 60-second conversation that, said, that has lasted for 28 years. He was a dreamer, but I caught a vision. Don't settle. Yeah. The vision was, don't settle. <laughs> the vision wasn't about the house. The vision was, don't settle. Keep dreaming. And keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever worry, if you ever worry about where you think your place is, don't start from positioning. Start from your relationship and dreaming. Because what comes out of you might be the spark that sets off a whole new thing. Yep. And that's a good place to stop tonight. Dreamers are needed to make visionaries go. Visionaries are needed, are needed to make dreams come alive. Yeah. So, God, I pray that you would make dreamers live and let their words live so that visionaries would come alive. Make every dream come true because you've given a people a clear vision to obtain what you have for them. Make us receptive to what you have so that we can do what you've purposed us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Claire is here 10 a.m. on Sunday, live and in living color. Pray for me as we go to Lexington this Sunday to be with the Mount Calvary Missionary Baptist Church for their 144th church anniversary. Pray for travel. Pray for the worship. It'll be streamed as well. And we should be back one more again. Next Wednesday. Uh, are we next Wednesday? Maybe not. That's the day before Thanksgiving. You know what? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you. Look, look. We'll see you in two weeks. Two weeks. Go and eat all the turkey and ham. And for all those that are vegetarian, all the vegetable stuff that you can. And enjoy your family. And we will be back with the podcast in two weeks. And God willing, we're going to see what it's like to be in the safe house one more time. Amen. So then we'll see you here in two weeks. Catch you on Sunday on all platforms. God bless you. Catch you. Night. <laughs>